This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. I Who Light explores mysteries of the universe. And China aims for AI leadership. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, and that's Michael Feldman with Top500.org. And Michael, this week in HPC, we've talked a lot about this number one supercomputer in the world, the Taihu Light, and people wanted to see some real scientific applications run on the whole thing. Let's really let it loose, and now we've got one with a world record simulation. Yeah, they announced uh, recently within China that they had run a uh, a universe simulation, basically an n-body simulation on that system using 10 million processor cores. That essentially is the whole system that has something over 10 million, but not much. So presumably they use the whole uh, 93 petaflop uh, system to do this, and they ran this simulation for, for a solid hour. A n-body simulation, what that is in terms of the the astrophysics modeling, you're basically modeling that many virtual particles, and a particle can represent a star, a galaxy, and we're modeling the gravitational pull from one of them to another one of them. And this simulation used 10 trillion virtual particles, or 10 trillion objects that it's modeling the gravitational pull of each other. The previous record was done on the Pitts-Deint system in Switzerland, and that used 2 trillion particles. Now, that doesn't mean this was five times a bigger simulation, but rather it gets exponentially bigger because each particle pulls on all the other particles, right? Right, and as the simulation evolves, that the computation changes as well. We should mention that the Chinese simulation, as we said, went for an hour. The Pitts-Deint simulation actually went for 80 hours with those two trillion particles so it's not quite apples to oranges there they they did a bit more work they actually were able to catalog you know uh, several billion galaxies during that simulation here they just announced that they did this uh, this n-body simulation with the 10 trillion particles right which gets a bit to the nut of this announcement i first of all i think it's great you've got a scientific application you've run it on the world's largest supercomputer you've demonstrated that you could do it You cut it off after an hour. Now, they said, well, they had other projects, other users who were waiting for time on that. But this is where, again, you're going to open yourself up to accusations that this feels stunty, right? That that you've, you've announced a world record, you've proven you can do it, but you didn't let the simulation run to where we've got a bunch of scientific discoveries getting announced based on this. Right. It was sort of an odd excuse not to go past one hour. Basically, they ran it enough to run the model to uh, basically tens of millions of years after the Big Bang. But, you know, for something sort of this this important and critical, you would think they would have allocated a bit more time to do something more interesting or to to take the simulation longer. Um, It might have been the fact that they just had allocated that time to other users and there was no way around that. But it does sort of beg the question if there were other things going on there that caused them to cut it short. Right. Was the application resilient enough? Was the system resilient enough? Did they not believe in the results in the software for some reason, so it was useless to run it longer? Were the other applications really that high value? You know, to, All right, if you had to shut this one off, tell me something else that you're doing. We're all 
desperate to hear benchmark results and discoveries out of this Taihu light system. So I, I think this is a tremendous achievement. And you point out in your article on top500.org, these are custom processors. So all of the software is is homegrown, written from scratch. Uh, the, the the head researcher here, Jialin, he, you know, they had to uh, create all of this software, create all of this research. And, uh, and he says, this is just a warm up exercise. We still have a long way ahead to, to get what we want. That's a great quote at the end of your article. So it's just a little taste again, just a little teaser and appetizer. Right, right. And, but we've seen other applications run on this system. When they first announced it, they had, uh, some Gordon Bell, uh, type of uh, applications running on there on basically the whole system or, or very large part of it. But, but again, it's, it's not as quite open uh, a, a system as, as you'd find in the U S where there's just a lot of articles and uh, news being written about applications on these large systems. So we're not quite sure what's going on there, but this is a very interesting application to run there. It's just, there wasn't a whole lot of detail. The, the news basically came out of a, a South China morning post article, which, uh, Took the took the cue from uh, a write up by one of the scientists involved in the project that was uh, wrote it up in a technical journal. So, uh, sort of two or three levels of translation to get it to you here in the U.S. What I like about it is it's the kind of application that you really need this level of supercomputing power for. This isn't a matter of you can use smaller systems and just let them run longer. If you're going to model that many particles, and there's a lot of particles in the universe, you you just need this kind of supercomputing prowess. And and as we march ahead toward exascale and even larger systems, uh, this kind of simulation is capable of consuming that much computational power. Right, and this this type of application is sort of key to sort of unraveling some of the mysteries of dark energy and. Uh, uh, things of that nature. So uh, things we don't actually know too much about, they're still <laughs> very mysterious. And to, to astrophysicists, they're studying this fairly intently. And uh, it's just been in the past few decades, they've actually had the computational power to do this sort of work and to, to uncover some of the behavior at this granularity. All right, Michael, for the next story this week in HPC, though, we're going to stay in China. Now, that last simulation was looking back in time to the Big Bang. Let's now look forward in time. China has new policy getting publicly announced where China has essentially announced they want to be the world leader in artificial intelligence going forward and that and that, that'll be a big boon to their economy. Right. This was announced by uh, China's state council. Now, it doesn't seem to be a, a a plan for allocation of funds is just sort of a statement of purpose from what from what I can tell. But they actually put together a three-phase plan that's uh, fairly detailed but more aspirational than anything else. And they, they go through the three phases. And during the third phase, the, the idea is to become the global leader in AI technology, just steadily moving forward and developing different parts of the technology, the expertise within the country, and the infrastructure to support this. And uh, the third phase ends in 2030. So they're going to do this in fairly rapid order. The, the first phase goes to 2020. The second phase is 2020 to 2025. And then the third phase ends in 2030. So they're on a pretty steep slope here. And basically what they're trying to do is catch up to the U.S. and overtake us, overtake the U.S. in, uh, in these, the next 13 years. 
That uh, is certainly an, an interesting statement, and, and they can throw a lot of resources at that. The number that caught my eye in this is that they expect it to add $1.5 trillion, essentially, or $10 trillion yuan to China's economy by the year 2030. Now, that would be over 10% of the current GDP of China, which is estimated at about $11 trillion uh, U.S. dollars, just according to me, you know, Googling that and taking the World Bank figure on that. Now, so when you see a figure like this, when I see a figure like this saying, well, it'd be worth $1.5 trillion, to me, the big question is, is that incremental? Are you saying you're going to add that much more to the economy that you don't already have? Or how much of that is replacement? How much of that are you claiming things that other things will also claim? You know, is AI really worth 10% of your economy uh, in uh, in 13 years from now, and maybe it is. And you know, are you saying that your economy is going to be, uh, you know, 10 10 to 15 percent larger than it is right now? Right. Well, I mean, these these types of projections, especially when it comes to AI, I mean, they they can get very very speculative rather quickly. But you know, 13 years is is a long time when you're thinking about something like artificial intelligence. There's been all sorts of predictions all over the map on how much money it's going to add to the global economy or, or, or the North American economy. This, this doesn't seem that much out of the ballpark, um, no. but it, it is a lot. And I'm not sure what those projections are actually based on other than some, some wishful thinking. Um, certainly AI is going to be a big force uh, in across basically any industry you can, you can mention here, but uh, as far as the, the how do you add up those numbers and project that forward in 13 years, I'm not sure how that gets done here. Well, you know, methodologically, it becomes interesting because AI, it's hard for me to think of that as really a separate industry. It's something that gets embedded into everything else that we do. And we're already seeing the early stages of enterprise computing starting to embed AI. There are new versions of SAP HANA that are going to incorporate machine learning and AI to do analytics. Is that part of, you know, does that make AI a separate industry? No, it's a feature inside of what they're already doing. We had the same thing with big data. Big data wasn't really a separate industry. It became something that people did. It didn't add a lot aggregate to how much enterprise computing there was. It became a component of what enterprise computing was. Right. And, and you're not sure exactly what they intended here, but I have a feeling, I mean, they, they actually gave a different number for the, the, the revenue generated by sales of AI uh, versus what it would be, what the greater value to the overall economy would be. So they, they did different, differentiate those two things. But as far as like, right, what is the replacement of, of those products and services versus what is AI specific, that's kind of hard to tell because you're going to be providing a lot of the same products and services going forward as you have now. So uh, it, it's not quite clear. But again, it's, you know, 13 years out, there's going to be big changes in the economy, certainly, according to, you know, how AI gets deployed. It's not out, outside the realm of possibility that this could be, you know, in this in this order of magnitude is $1.5 trillion to that economy. Oh, yeah. And that gets to the last point I really want to make about this is it's not like AI is new. It's been crawling along the whole time. And, uh, you know, we've had AI in different forms for a long time. You know, we 
talked about uh, IBM Deep Blue winning at chess a long time before we talked about uh, you know the uh, the Google AI programs winning at Go. You know, we, it, it's gotten more complicated. It's getting more integrated into everything we do. And I do believe that we're getting to a point where normal everyday transactions are going to be touched by AI in some fashion. Already, if you talk to your phone and do an internet search for something, there's AI embedded. If you are on an internet website and you click on something that says, here's a product that's recommended for you, well, that was AI that touched what you were doing there. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of predictive analytics that go into retail. There's a lot of uh, the uh, the live fraud detection, I think, that's going to incorporate AI. So it's going to seamlessly integrate into all of these things. And, you know, I think this is the the right thing at a government level to say we need to be ahead of this because this is where technology is going. So overall, I like the statement. This is the, my theme for for this podcast, for these statements coming out of China. Overall, I like them. I think they're tastes of what's to come. Uh, I think they they bring up as many questions as answers, but that doesn't mean I don't like the direction. Yeah, and and you know when I was reading reading this up, it was it was sort of an obvious thing. I mean, China's already number two in in this area as far as how much uh, research is being done and how much is being deployed. They've got certainly some of the big hyperscale companies there, so they're they're actively involved in this. I mean, there's they've got quite a bit to catch up to the u.s overall although some of the some of the companies in the u.s like baidu and tencent they actually are are better in certain areas of ai already than some of the u.s companies but overall uh they're behind they're behind the the number of uh startups and and that sort of thing but again 13 years is going to be a long time and uh they they have certainly the resources to to uh expand this uh this area during that period of time it looks like this plan is, is, you know, a decent way to get them there. Agreed, Michael, and thanks a lot for the conversation today, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.